one for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 718 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, May the 25th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. And uh, basketball, new episodes every Thursday. Go check it out with myself and Katie Heindel. Today's podcast and every podcast this month on the entire Locked On Podcast Network is brought to you by Built Bar. Please make sure you're going to BuiltBar.com using the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Excuse me, just Locked On, and you're going to get yourself a, uh, a fancy little $10 knocked off your price of your first order of built bars we'll talk more about built bar a little bit later on in the podcast meanwhile on the across the lockdown podcast network we got lots of great stuff for you to check out what ifs week or what ifs Fortnite continues on as uh, we've got lots of great stuff across the board from a bunch of different hosts and shows across the network including some other great interviews and things like that and some more touching episodes too i'm going to personally recommend an episode of locked on mlb the host paul sullivan over there our boy sully did a great episode talking about his father and his father who's you know gone into uh, kind of a deteriorative state health wise and sully kind of talking about their baseball relationship and there's actually audio and Included in that podcast of Sully and his dad at a San Francisco Giants game in 2014. If you want to cry, which everyone wants to cry once in a while, go listen to the Locked On MLB episode with Sully. I believe that dropped on Monday, so go listen over there. Uh, all right, on today's show, we continue What If's Fortnite here on Locked On Raptors as well. We've talked a lot about uh, things that may or may not have happened, had certain things gone other ways in Raptors history, and one that I, did not really occur to me to, uh, as something to talk about, but one that I'm now pretty intrigued to dive into, was suggested by today's guest, Vivek Jay. Jacob. Vivek, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, the weather's a lot better, so the walks have been a bit more enjoyable, although mm. it's been a bit more challenging in terms of maintaining the physical distance. Um, and yeah, I mean, with the sun out, I think it's just got everyone's mood up, and hopefully it looks like there might be a, a light. I mean, we always knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. It just seems like it's closer than it was before. I mean, we still have to be careful. So we're seeing the numbers kind of spike back up, but yeah, it just feels like we're through at least the hardest part of it. It does seem like that. The weather I thought was going to go one of two ways. Either it was going to extremely bum people out uh, or it was going to sort of perk moods up. And obviously people need to be uh, not stupid and uh, be careful with what they're doing out there. But I, uh, I think hopefully that the sunbeams coming into living rooms everywhere is helping people with their moods. It's certainly helping mine for sure. Uh, that is until we uh, dive into today's topic, which is dark and sad and depressing. Uh, of course, the what if that we're diving into today suggested by Big V himself is what if Jorge Garbajosa does not get hurt against the Boston Celtics in game 70 of the season back in 2006-07, the year where Sam Mitchell wins Coach of the Year, the year the Raptors become good again. What if he doesn't get hurt and uh, derail the Raptors' playoff lineups in a very significant way? Vivek, what was the impetus for you to want to do this game? It's a pretty interesting one, uh, or not this game, this what if. It, it's, it's fascinating. It's kind of an under-the-radar one that I hadn't thought about. What was the reasoning behind you wanting to talk about it? Well, I guess for me, this was the first playoff series that I got to really witness in full. 
mm-hmm. um, since coming to Toronto. Uh, I mean, I kind of caught the tail end of that uh, when when the Raptors went out in five games to uh, Detroit and Chris Childs had that crazy moment. But other than that, you know, this this would have been the first one uh, where I got to experience completely. And so it's kind of always been a what if for me. Um, as you know, I've always been a big Chris Bosch fan since that's, you know, the era that I really uh, started to enjoy the Raptors and consume them pretty much uh, with all my time outside of university. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think this is something where, especially when you look at the fact that Joey Graham takes over the starting role, uh, for Garbajosa, I think there's quite a big disparity in terms of what could have been for the Raptors. Oh, you're saying Joey Graham hadn't figured it out yet? He's still going to. Don't worry. It's coming soon. Next year is the year for Joey <laughs> Graham, baby. But uh, yeah, no, 07 was not Joey Graham's year as uh, no year to this point in human recorded history has been Joey Graham's year. Um, so let's get into Garbo. Of course, Garbo came over. He was sort of one of the wave of European guys along with Jose Calderon and then Anthony Parker as well coming over from EuroLeague in the first year or like the first era with Brian Colangelo kind of running the team, Maurizio Gerardini as the assistant GM. And that was sort of their way of kind of circumventing the anti-Toronto sentiment among American players in the league and the sort of lack of interest in coming and signing here. And it was, you know, in fairness to Colangelo, who I'm sure we have opinions on that are not exactly positive, that was a pretty good way to go about it, I think, and kind of a bit of a revolutionary way to look at things for a franchise that had really struggled to attract talent until that point. Do you remember sort of your feelings when they brought in all these guys? I remember feeling uh, a little bit nonplussed by it because I had never heard of them before. And, you know, I found myself getting much more excited for the Chris Duhon offer sheet and things like that before, <laughs> before uh, like the, that this era of basketball kind of kicked off for the Raptors. But obviously, these moves, by and large, worked very well. Jose Calderon, a franchise legend. Anthony Parker was excellent and probably underrated during his time. And Jorge Garbajosa, you know, I don't know where he would have fit in if his career didn't get derailed by that horrible knee injury. But he was a really, really nice player and really fun to watch. And just sort of a a very, the European flair he brought to the team was delightful. Do you remember your sort of feelings on these guys as they came in that season? Yeah, I did. Uh enjoy all of them together in terms of the mix. Cause I thought, you know, there's almost shades of uh, the we the North version that, that went to the playoffs in 2013, 14, where, you know, you just had a bunch of guys that fit in really well. And I thought Anthony Parker was exactly the type of compliment complimentary guard that you needed um, next to what, uh, you know, whether it was TJ Ford or Jose Calderon starting um, and, you know, his three point shooting, um, his, late clock shooting was pretty awesome as well. Uh, and Garbajosa, I mean, that, that, that was like the ultimate glue guy. I thought he fit mm-hmm. so well. It just made smart basketball plays. And I think that's what Colangelo was going for with that roster where you just had a bunch of smart guys every year that he's been in the league. So he kind of just knew how to win. And that's what the Raptors needed at the time. So um, it was kind of a roundabout way of tackling free agency. Um, in the NBA, but I think at the time, considering the Raptors standing in the league, it was something that needed to be done, and it was pretty creative on Colangelo's part, uh, teaming up with Maurizio Garadini to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. He did have a lot of, you know, very European stylings to his play to Garbajosa. And you mentioned the glue guy thing. I mean, that was, he was kind of like point forwardy a little bit. He never took away when he was on the floor. Maybe he wasn't the greatest defender in the world, but I don't think, you know, anyone on that team was hanging their hat on defense necessarily. And the offense really, really hummed when he was out there. And I, I just remember, you know, he would have, you know, these five, seven assist games and he'd sort of augment the playmaking in a really nice way. Uh, a very, very pleasurable player to watch play basketball. We're going to continue this conversation about Jorge Garbajosa and what might have happened had he not gotten hurt in 6 in just a second. But first, I want to tell everybody about Built Bar. Built Bars are the protein bars that taste like a candy bar. They are the best protein bar you're ever going to taste. 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, 8 chocolate nut free flavors, and a whole bunch of new flavors on the way. You may even be able to find those flavors already at BuiltBar.com. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew as well. No sticking it in the microwave to make it edible. No gritty, sandy flavors or anything like that. Just a good-ass tasting protein bar. Built Bars are great and healthy for the health-conscious person as well. Lose and maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Peanut butter brownie, for example, a delicious flavor, has 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. And the mint brownie, probably my second favorite flavor after toffee almond, has 15 grams of protein, just 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. And uh, all across the board, Built Bars have seven times less sugar than Cliff Bars. Seven times. Seven. That's so many. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Vivek, let's, uh, let's get to the injury and sort of where things are trending at this point. The Raptors are, you know, going to win the division. This is a very bad Atlantic division. They're going to be guaranteed a top three seed at this point. And they go to Boston to play a game against the Celtics. And Jorge Garbajosa goes down horribly on a fast break, I believe. And it looks bad instantly. He's ruled out for the rest of the season. He never really recovers. He comes back for seven games the following season. Is pretty ineffective. And that's the end of his career in the NBA. And he never really regains it in Europe either when he goes back overseas. And so the effects on this are, like you said, pretty important for the playoff rotation in particular. Garbajosa was uh, a very valuable member of that team. He was, uh, again, sort of like a glue guy. And then I don't know if we say Joey Graham is the opposite of glue, but he might have been. He was kind of rubbery. And uh, <laughs> like it just it did not work out with him subbing in to start. Do you remember your sort of encro- encroaching sense of doom when Garbajosa got hurt? Did you did you have that? Were you feeling optimistic still about Graham and his prospects? What were your thoughts at the time? I definitely thought that it was a big loss, and especially going down the stretch, you're at that point where you're getting excited for the postseason, and you're seeing what this team can do. It, like They just kept getting better and better as the season went on, and you know, it, it, I think either way they finish up with the third seed, um, but I think that was a big loss. And then I think the thing that frustrated me, I remember going into the playoffs, it was constantly just, you know, why is Graham ahead of Mo Pete in the mm. rotation? Um, that, yeah, well, once the injury happened, it's like, okay, you know, how are you going to deal with this? And it never made sense to me that Joey Graham was ahead of Mo Pete in the rotation. 
Yeah, that uh, that was certainly frustrating, and I think kind of uh, sowed the seeds of Morris Peterson's departure from the team as well. Uh, you know, I don't think him and Sam Mitchell really saw eye to eye all that much. Uh, right. So you get to the playoffs. You have uh, Joey Graham starting in the postseason against the New Jersey Nets, who are a pretty good team at this time. The Raptors were the three seed, so the Nets were only the six. But like, it's one of those. It's kind of like a the the Nets of 2014, where the Nets weren't great that season either necessarily, but they should have been a lot better, and they were excellent to close the 2014 season. And, yeah. you know, they, they, they certainly had the talent on hand to win a series. And so it was like a bit of a, a toss-up of a 3-6, if I recall. The Raptors lose game one, of course. Duh. Uh, <laughs> never not going to happen. <laughs> uh, they win game two, 89-83. They lose a couple sort of blowouts uh, by 13-21 and 21 in games four and five against the, or sorry, three and four against the Nets in New Jersey. They win back at home in game five to make it three, two. And then of course we know what happens in game six, Jose Calderon trying to find Chris Bosch with an alley-oop late in the game. They're down one turnover series over. And uh, we all get depressed and sad about Vince Carter beating the Raptors. Um, if Jorge Garbajosa was involved in this series, do you think the Raptors win it? I, I have my doubts considering, you know, the talent that was on that Nets team, but I'm curious what you think. I actually do think they win it because I think um, they were kind of during the headlights in that game one. Uh, I remember Chris Bosh picking up two fouls early uh, just because he was so pumped to be in there. And, you know, you see that all the time with uh, people going through the playoffs for the first time where, you know, they're either too excited or they're not, you know, amped up enough where they, you know, they're trying to take it too easy um, and sort of ease their way into the game. And Bosch was on the other end of things. And so um, I thought that put the Raptors behind the eight ball in game one. But after that, I thought they played really, really well. Um, and especially in this game six, uh, it was really frustrating to see them lose, not just the way it ended. Like that was, um, you know, I thought Chris Bosch was incredible. And then I remember uh, TJ Ford, you know, I think he was dealing with some injuries going into that game and uh, you know, no one knew whether he was going to play, whether he was going to start, what the deal was going to be. And then he ends up uh, coming off the bench and I, I thought he was great. Uh, and both, both point guards really uh, impacted the game really, really well, um, considering how well Jason Kidd had played all series. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I struggle to see how um, Garbajosa doesn't, doesn't change the dynamics of that series because you, you're pretty much going to Garbajosa starting and then Mo Pete's still coming off the bench. I don't, I don't think Joey Graham sees much floor time at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I do think it hurt the Raptors in that sense. Um, even more than Mo Pete making that shot against the Wizards that ultimately cost them playing a Wizards team that would have been <laughs> without Arenas and uh, I think I think Butler would have been injured for that series too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, a strange twist of fate with with Mo Pete hitting that shot. I think we talked about that actually on our Mo Pete shot and Michael Ruffin episode with I believe Joe Wolfond on the Patreon not long ago that we re released. But uh, yeah, it, it's tough. Like I guess it comes down to a question of whether or not the trade off of Joey Graham, who, you know, again, not good at basketball, but I think probably a slightly better defender than Jorge Garbajosa. Is the trade-off there significant enough? If you have Jorge in, the defense maybe falls off a bit, but the offense probably runs a hell of a lot smoother 
And, you know, the offense in the series just did not click. The Raptors didn't score 100 in any game in the series. 98 was their high. Um, you know, they, they couldn't quite score on this Nets team, which, you know, not exactly loaded with incredible defenders. I mean, Vince was, you know, hit and miss. They had Mickey Moore and Jason Collins starting together. Richard Jefferson was very good, obviously, but this wasn't a team that was loaded with, like, just insane smothering wing defenders. So maybe you're right. Maybe, like, how much do you think the offense would have benefited from having Jorge in that series? Because, again, like, Joey Graham stinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the other thing too is it's just the experience factor. Yeah. Um, where Garbajosa has played in all these big games for Spain, played in high leverage situations uh, for his club team in Europe. So I think that would have been a big factor. I think the biggest thing that the Nets had in their favor in that series was the experience, right? Like you look right. at Jason Kidd, Vince, and Jefferson, and they've just been through. Uh, a bunch of battles going into that series. And so I think having Garbajosa would have just had helped steady the ship. Um, offensively, you know, he's got a little bit of that, you know, bite-sized Marcus Allfield where he can just help settle things down. Yeah. Um, and so I think that would have been the biggest difference. And, and defensively, you know, I know he doesn't have the sort of the lateral quakes or whatever it may be, but he was just a smart defender too. Right. right? Like he, he just – knew how to play position. He knew how to, you know, he'd pick up charges. Uh, he knew where to be on the floor. Um, and he was a, a, sort of a, a, a sneaky uh, steel getter too. Um, sort of had the tricks in his sleeve to pick your pocket. And so, um, yeah, I really think the upgrade at small forward would have made a big difference uh, in terms of how the series would have went. Um, you know, again, you expect the Raptors to lose game one, but I think thereafter, uh, Garbajosa would have made a big difference. It is certainly worth noting that in the six games of that series, uh, Joey Graham's offensive box plus minus was negative 7.4. <laughs> and actually, it, during the regular season, Garbajosa was like a slight negative as well, and he was actually a plus on defense, a plus 1.1 mm -hmm. defensive yeah. box plus minus. So maybe I'm undercutting his defensive chops a little bit there. But uh, yeah, Joey Graham was not an NBA player by this point, I don't think, as much as we really, really wanted him to be. He yeah. just he never was going to be anything resembling a, a reliable rotation piece. And I, yeah, you're, you're probably right, actually. Now that I look back at these games, like, yes, there were a couple blowouts in New Jersey. They're probably going to lose those anyway. But maybe they win game one. You know, I know it's sacrilege to suggest the Raptors win at game one. But maybe they do win that game one, which they lose by five if they have a more sort of you know prolific offensive attack. And, and it's not right. such a – it's not so – you know, running through Joey Graham <laughs> or just having him out there being a waste of space. Right. It's uh, and then, you know, you have game seven as well or game six where they lose by one. That's a toss up game too. So you do have a couple toss ups in there that maybe Garbajosa is enough to change things over because that is not a deep nets team at all. It is no. basically Jefferson Carter and kid. And then everything after that is kind of trash, including future Raptors, Antoine Wright and Hassan Adams. Uh, it was so just Boston Knockbar hitting a bunch of threes. A lot of Boston Nakbar, yeah. Uh, modern or early Boyan Bogdanovich uh, against the Raptors in a postseason series. Do you also <laughs> remember this being like the failed home court advantage, uh, where the yes, Raptors... the red jerseys, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> yeah. 
so a couple more interesting things about Jorge Garbajosa and his time with the team and what might have happened had they won this series that we'll get to in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about Blinkist, which is going to be, once you download it, the most useful app on your phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more, especially right now where you have your kids being homeschooled and it's uh, a lot of things to juggle while you're at home, even though you are at home. But there is an incredible app called Blinkist that solves this problem. Highly recommended. Blinkist is unique and works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know info from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for how many books they read. Blinkist helps you, the busy person, get those main points of those books into your brain like a quick little download, and its audio feature as well makes it super easy to finish a book while you're doing other tasks, while you're commuting, you're on your lunch break, you're exercising, you're cooking dinner, so many places in which you can listen to Blinkist as well. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, and health to history books, and they have the latest titles from bestsellers lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but you never had time to, and it's wonderful. Again, 15 minutes. Sometimes you don't want to read a big 600-word book on American history, but if you have a 15-minute download to put in your brain with the need-to-know stuff that you're going to take from that book anyway, it's perfect. There are popular books as well available on Blinkist, including Upheaval, Turning Points for Nations in Crisis by Jared Diamond or The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss on the sports side of things. You've got Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson as well as This Is Your Brain on Sports by John Wertheim and Sam Summers. Uh, And again, you can go to Blinkist and get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want for one low price. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you're also going to save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. All right, Big V. So uh, funnily enough, uh, another Nets series loss came with a chance to play LeBron James uh, and his team, <laughs> different team in this situation, but a LeBron James team nonetheless in the second round. Of course, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers were very LeBron heavy. They go to the finals this year, I believe, in 2007, right? Yeah. yeah. This is when yep. they play the Spurs and get swept in the finals. Uh, you got LeBron, Larry Hughes, Drew Gooden, Big Z, Sasha Pavlovich is at starting five. Danielle Marshall's on that team. On Anderson Berejao's there. Eric Snow, of course, is there. Uh, Ira Newble, other you know names from deep in the depths of former LeBron James teammates. Uh, Vivek, do you think the Raptors, if they win that series with Jorge Garbajosa on hand, give any trouble to the new, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, or do they lose that series pretty handily? I think they give them trouble. I didn't think of them around for their money. I still expect the Cavs to win it. I think this was um, after LeBron's first playoff appearance the year before. I think you know he had really taken a step forward. This is the year I think he has that series against Detroit. He has that game where he scores 29 of the final 30 points. So I think he was just a man on a mission. And so I do think the Cavs would have won anyway, but I think it would have been a really, really fun series. Um, I, you, would, you would have had, uh, you know, the fun trash talking. I think this was the year that, you know, the Raps were up big and Chris Bosh's girlfriend sort of made those comments to LeBron and then he went off uh, and they won the game. So you would have had that sort of spice to it. And then I think Chris Bosh and LeBron James, you know, coming from that same draft class, 
Um, that head-to-head would have been fun. Uh, you would have had the all-Euro center matchup between Asterovic and Ogauskas, uh, you know, just pop in mid-range jumpers all over the place. Um, yeah, I think this could have been a fun series, maybe six, maybe seven, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I do think LeBron would have won out in the end as he seemed to always do against the Raptors. Yeah, the Cavs did beat the Nets in the six games. A lot of those games pretty lopsided. A couple close ones here and there, and of course the Nets pulled out too. But for the most part, uh, pretty much in control for Cleveland in this one. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it would have been certainly good early Lebronto fodder. Uh, it would have certainly added <laughs> extra juice to the later matchups for sure and extra, I guess, toil for Raptors fans if we both think the Cavs would have won this series, which I think they would have in five or six probably. LeBron was just so much better than anybody on those teams. And as much as we love Jorge Garbajosa, I can't imagine him trying to guard LeBron James uh, <laughs> or <laughs> anyone on that team trying to guard LeBron. Like, that would have been an absolute nightmare. At least the, the, the Nets had, you know, they could throw Mickey Moore and Richard Jefferson out there for at least a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that, that would have not gone well. Um, I, I, I think they lose that series. I guess the interesting thing then is if Garbajosa doesn't get hurt and comes back the next season in 07-08, do things go differently for the team? Because that's obviously a very disappointing year. They kind of uh, regress a little bit. They finish 42-40. and 40. They get uh, very unceremoniously dispatched by the Orlando Magic in the first round. You know, I don't necessarily know if that team wins any rounds the following season, but they might not get lined up against the Magic. And if you're not up against the Magic or the Cavs that season, anything's kind of possible, I suppose. Although I guess this is also a Celtics year, too, where they kind of come in and that top of the conference with Detroit at the tail end is very good as well. Do you think anything changes for the fortunes of the team for the next few years based on that 07-08 season if Jorge is available to play that entire year? Uh, I, I think things might change a little bit, but I think this is where we started to see the the downside of uh, Colangelo, where it was like, okay, this was a failure. Now we got to change everything. And it was, you know, we, we pretty much saw um, a different roster the next year where he was trying to get in, you know, Jason Capono come in, Mario Moon, um, Carlos Delfino, who I really enjoyed watching. Yeah. But yeah, I think there was just, a little bit too much change too quickly. And then obviously the year after that, I think we saw Jermaine O'Neal come in. So I think this, this is where just not allowing a team to just build chemistry and sort of absorb the losses together kind of hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that hurt them more than anything. Um, and the chemistry wasn't the same. It was, you know, it was kind of like they found lightning in a bottle that first season and, things sort of tailed off pretty quickly after that. Yeah, you lose Mo Pete that season. Uh, Jason Capono is a great disappointment, obviously. Uh, you know, you kind of get like tail end of Rosho as he's kind of getting washed a little bit. Just mm-hmm. not the same mix. And yeah, because of the strength of the top of the East at that time with Boston, Detroit, Cleveland, and Orlando, I don't think they get out of the first round either way, even if yeah. they are a four or five or five or six seed. Uh, which is probably the most you could have hoped for for this team. I, they were, again, 41 and 41, I misspoke. They, they just barely scratched a 500 record. Um, pretty uninspiring stuff. And then obviously TJ Ford gets dealt for Jermaine O'Neal. And that very fun era quickly comes to a extremely unceremonious end. Um, the, the depressing thing that I wanted to throw your way, uh, Vivek, before we wrap up here, where do you think Jorge Garbajosa 
all 67 games that he played, averaging eight points, five boards, and two assists. Where does he rank among all-time Chris Bosh Raptors teammates? Because it's, I think it's depressingly high, and that bums me out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's the saddest part of the Chris Bosh era, right? There was never anyone, there was no legit star beside him in his time here. I mean, based on resume, you probably have to say the best player he's played with is Hito Turkoglu. Obviously, that didn't pan out in Toronto. Um, Outside of Vince early on, right? Or are we talking all oh, six? Right. Yeah, six yeah. On? I guess that, that very small window of Vince. Uh, yeah, I guess then you got to factor in Jalen Rose and Antonio Davis too. Well, let's say the, the Sam Mitchell, the, the Colangelo era on, because, you know, the, the guys who Bosch came up with, it was never like they, they lined up timeline-wise or anything like that. And, you know, things were already in transition when Bosch came in. So we'll, we'll say Colangelo era. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, sad to say Gar- Garbajosa might be – he's definitely in the top ten. Yes. Um, he, he's probably top seven because, okay – You'd have to say TJ Ford's better than him. Jose's better than him. Um, I'd give Anthony Parker a slight edge as well. Definitely, yep. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of slim pickings from there. Yeah, it's, it's like how much do you care about Jamario Moon? Yeah, Rosho's probably there. I think he, he did more over the time probably than, than Jorge did. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's tough. So Fucking dark stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's probably the biggest reason why Chris Bosch gets knocked so much, right? It's like you look at the history and it's like, oh, you didn't, you didn't win much and you didn't do, really do anything in the playoffs. It's like, well, look around him. Yeah. It was an a lot, lot of Roko Ukic, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Poor Jorge Garbajosa. Uh, it would have been cool to see him kind of gel with like that Calderon Bosch Parker core I think they had going there TJ Ford too I, I like Ford I think he's probably the answer as the best Bosch teammate in this time at least right. like his peak like he was he was wonderful before things went downhill for him but um yeah it's uh it's not a fun as much as it's been fun I think to sort of look back on different eras of the Raptors in light of the title to kind of you know be able to like bask in the in the glow that it was even though none of those seasons ended the way you want them to this era still even with the glow of the title is not very illuminated <laughs> it's uh right. it's pretty dark stuff and uh i'm frankly happy to uh never talk about it ever again i'm glad that we talked <laughs> about it today this was a lovely conversation big v but i uh, if we can never discuss the uh the patrick o'brien era ever again i think i'm pretty good um right. do you have any parting shots on uh on, on jorge garbajosa or anything like that who is, of course, now the president of the Spanish Basketball Federation? Yeah, of course he is. Um, and no, no, no parting shots. It was it was a short, sweet ride. Um, I think I think he sort of endeared himself to the fan base and the city pretty quickly because I think even in years past where he's made random appearances uh, and he's been spotted in the crowd, he's received a nice ovation. Yeah, so you get a feel for how much. Uh, people sort of valued his hard-nosed play in the short tenure that he had. So, yeah, I got, I got nothing but respect for that guy. Um, to just a damn shame uh, what happened in Boston. 
I think he's kind of on the tier of like Bismack Biombo in terms of like fan adoration per minute played. He's <laughs> right up there. Uh, like you're right. He gets one of the biggest ovations whenever he shows up. I think he was at a playoff game last season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. Like cheer on Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and whatnot. But yeah, he's, he's definitely up there in terms of guys who played one season with the team. This is maybe a dumb blog. I'm going to do at some point. Uh, dive it sounds like single it. season fan favorites. Oh shit. I just signed myself up for some work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a, uh, He's a, he's a fun player, and uh, it's it's a real shame the way it ended for him. But he had himself a damn successful career, and so like overseas as well. So I, I'm glad he came to the NBA, got to prove it a little bit that he could hack it over here. I'm not sure how much better he was ever going to get. He was 29, 30 years old when he was in the NBA. So like I'm not sure where he was on the development curve outside of just like getting more acquainted to the speed of the NBA game. But even if he was eight five and two with you know solid defense as a as a weirdly like gangly and big small forward at the time you know he'd absolutely be a four in today's game there's no question about that um it's uh it's it's an interesting what if and i'm glad you posed this one big v because uh never a bad time can i ask you one last question yeah what's up just thinking out loud as you were saying all this stuff do you think how chris bosh is viewed changes at all if they win that series and then they have a really fun series against lebron interesting uh maybe a little bit Although in hindsight, like maybe that series is viewed as sort of like fuel for the super team in in Miami, uh, like even more sort of uh, (laughs) like, yeah, okay, well, Bosch, we know is very good now. Uh, Let's go recruit him to join me in D-Wade type of thing. Um, But yeah, maybe like if he had, yeah, because he never really got the chance to have a playoff moment, right? Like he, Mm -hmm. that, that net series, they were diminished and you don't have, a standout game there and that's partly on Bosch I mean he could have had himself a game if he really wanted to um, but he didn't and you know you have the the next series which is just the most depressing series loss you'll ever see to the magic and we've had this conversation right I was trying to think back of like the best individual performances in Raps history and it's so hard to find Bosch games that stand out against the backdrop because so many of them are just the same formula. Oh, he had a really efficient game shooting 18 footers and he had a ton of rebounds and that was just kind of his story. And a credit to him, he was damn good at that, but it just it never lended itself. And the, the roster around him never lended itself to having those moments. But yeah, you're probably right. Like if, if Jorge's there for one fun run, then maybe they do actually kind of uh, change the way Bosch is viewed as a Raptor, even though I don't think it changes the ultimate destiny of him going to the Heat. So, Right. Interesting stuff. Uh, Big V, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no, you can just look out for my usual stuff at Complex. Um, there's more to come soon. I just did a five reasons why Nick Nurse should be coach of the year, uh, since everyone else has already written that column. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can go check that out at Complex. And you can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. Sweet. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can go listen to uh, Basketball with myself and Katie Heindel. New episode dropped on Thursday night. Uh, and today, I also have a piece up at Raptors HQ. I made an appearance. I'm out of pseudo-retirement. I wasn't in retirement. I was just depressed from quarantine and playing too many video games. But uh, I got a piece up today about uh, the Raptor and the silliness of returning and all that stuff. Uh, you know, very me shit, probably. Uh, we also, uh, I'll probably have this blog now about fan favorites. Uh, 
<laughs> at some point coming up at some point soon. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. Please go listen to yesterday's episode of Raptors 905 assistant Ryan Schmidt. That was a lot of fun. Ryan was great. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. A uh, bit of a different look at the team and the CEBL and all that stuff. And we'll be back again next week with uh, other stuff. We've got some fun plans on the schedule and we are probably going to have like actual real basketball news at some point here to talk about so keep an eye out for that next week as well on the podcast and we will talk to you on monday with another episode of locked on raptors <laughs>